Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how educating them positively can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week we're having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Before we start, I just wanted to say thank you for all the great reviews we have been receiving on Apple Podcasts and to those who are listening every week and now from 23 different countries. Wow, um, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Today, we're welcoming Dr. Dan Pell, who is a senior strategic learning technology consultant in the United States. So we will address active learning, positive schooling, the impact of COVID, and what you can do at home to practice positive education while also making it fun. But without further ado, let's begin. Papa, papa, en faisant cette chanson. Maman, papa, maman, papa. Hi Dan, how are you today? I'm well, Julie. Thanks so much for coming to talk to me today. Thank you for joining. Uh, could you please introduce yourself? My name is Dan Pell. I am a um, father of two boys and um, husband of something d'Argel, now <laughs> Pell, who is your second cousin or something like that. But I am from Minnesota in the United States and living in Wisconsin in the United States, currently the uh, third highest hotspot for coronavirus in the United States. Uh, nice. Happily in my basement with the doors closed and not, <laughs> not going out much. We've been here in Wisconsin for 10 years. And prior to that, we lived in quite a few places in different parts of the world. So uh, we met in Northern Ireland, where I lived for 11 years, and also lived together in China, India, Morocco, three years, and have traveled extensively in Europe and Asia during those times, and North Africa. By background, I am 
Uh, depends how far you go back. <laughs> I'll start with where I am now. I work as a strange position that's called a strategic learning technology consultant, which is uh, what's strange about it is that I really am, I, I work in a group in a university, in one of the largest universities in, in America, um, where I help to redesign teaching and learning programs, curriculum, it could be from a school or college level or right down to a department level or working with individual instructors. But I'm in a strange position because it's in an, in an academic technology department, but I really focus on teaching and on education and learning. And my role also allows me to be in contact with people right from high level administration to students. And so I have a very, very broad uh, kind of open, say it almost like an ethnographic role within the department that I work in, where I will kind of go in to learn the culture and learn about them as they also reflect and then kind of guide them toward uh, making improvements in how they teach and collecting evidence of that and then reflecting on the evidence through like quantitative and qualitative surveys with students to and also with the teaching team and the administration just looking for areas that can be improved and making improvement so that the experience for everybody involved in that whole teaching and learning cycle is is better that's very interesting do you have any example of things that you yeah. help improve yeah i could give some examples so i should also add that i come to it from an english language teaching background and that my actual degree is in literature <laughs> so i have a phd in literature and moved into english language teaching in by way of because i felt kind of fell in love with the teaching practices and the people that i was teaching the variety of people i was teaching so this role that I took ended up kind of drawing on those skills that I learned as an English language teacher, which is a really vibrant field, working with all ages and backgrounds of students. And so an example, I worked until the COVID-19 crisis, where I joined kind of the general university emergency response, like transform any department that needs it in, in any way, working with instructors. Uh, before that, I was embedded in the Department of Anthropology, specifically in cultural anthropology, and in the College of Engineering, in material science and engineering, mechanical engineering, and engineering physics. So, you know, opposite spectrum in terms of the, the content and the methods and everything, but the common practices that they needed in order to teach effectively were things that I was really very expert in from, from all these years as an English language teacher. And that is being very student-centered and very, there's a, a buzzword in American third level education right now called active learning. And that means that people are actively processing the information and like engaging interpersonally mm. and talking through as they learn and that they don't sit down. You know, and the cultural anthropology course had 450 people in the room but you still had to pause the person who's speaking in order to give the people in those chairs a chance to turn and talk to each other and you know, challenge them and get them to think and to reflect and to, to take chances and predict what's gonna happen. And all of these things had to happen even in these very large classes. So the, the example, I, I guess, I mean, two examples, the cultural anthropology course, we did a lot of development on looking at how it was being taught by a team of people, that there was like one lead instructor and 10 or 11 teaching assistants who are graduate students who come in and out. And we saw that there was a lot of tension between those two levels. I saw it just from being in the room and that the tension, a lot of it came around the work that was involved. And like, there was a lot of inefficient work, like too many assignments, too long, too much grading, no rubric, not able to 
you know, it's just not, not really fair to those students coming in as grad students to teach it. We spent a lot of time looking at how can we improve it? And it was like, well, let's create resources that everybody can have. Let's look at how you meet together. And, you know, do you communicate respectfully with them? And do you involve them in the decision making? And do you help them to set the objectives? And a lot of all, all of that work started with like, let's what's our objective? What's our learning objective for this course, for this topic? Let's write those. Let's plan the course to meet those. Let's us make sure that our assessments and our tests and all these other things are also checking those. And then let's involve them in writing that too, so that everybody understands that this is what we want the students to be able to do. This is how we're going to get there and not be like handed a book and a test and told, you know, teach this. I guess a more coherent you know, a single example is in the material science and engineering course. That one was interesting because there was one instructor who was at the end of his career. He was over 70 years old. He was from Iran and had been teaching. He's very expert in his field, which is looking at atoms, like the interplay of atoms and how that makes materials have properties that we use. And it's kind of like magic, you know, when he, when he looks into like the level of, the level of, of minutia that he would go into, in the field and his approach to the teaching was just, well, I know it all, I'll go into the room and tell them. I'm an expert, I'll tell them, they'll listen and then they'll learn. And they don't, doesn't work like that. You know, you remember like 10% of what you hear when you're sitting in a lecture. And so we had to really rethink like, why are the students, like they're getting the questions right. They can answer these math questions, but they have no idea why they did it. And they don't know why, how you can use it. So we had we ended up having these long conversations where I'd be like, so what is this thing? What does this do? And it's actually a real advantage that I didn't have a clue about the field. I mean, nothing about it because he had to really explain it to me. And when he did, it would be like, oh, but you see this little material property here is what makes this happen. And you can use it in this and this. And he got all passionate about it. And then what we had to do was say like, okay, where's that passion when you're teaching? How does that passion manifest itself in the classroom in front of all these students? It doesn't. You're showing them the math and the minutia, but they actually have no idea why they're doing it. Let's bring in the, those examples. Let's explain. Let's start with where you're going to get and then go back to, okay, and this is how you can get there. So we ended up creating these projects that the students would do in the classroom, even though they were in an introductory level course, looking at a particular material and coming up with their own hypothesis about it and then presenting it as if they were experts presenting to another expert. And for him, he went through this radical transformation in how he taught and how he engaged with his students, which is really amazing because he was, you know, someone who'd had a whole career doing it one way and then suddenly turned around and transformed into doing it another way. Probably getting ahead of ourselves because this was the original question here was like, introduce yourself. So, um, <laughs> no, that's fine. It's interesting. And I think, you know, it probably is helpful for him as well, not only for the students, but also for him to enjoy his job a little bit more. And so I know that you're raising your boys with positive education, but I'm curious to know when you found out about positive education. Was it in your previous life of teaching or did you really find out about it when you were raising them? How did you come across that? Um, it's a really good question. <laughs> it might take me a long time to answer it. Thanks. I'm trying. I am trying. I would say, I mean, as I kind of alluded to earlier, my whole career of 21 years now has been in education. And that's not to say that I trained up to, to raise kids because it's completely different being a teacher. And, and, and you know, it's funny. I, I actually 
taught a lesson to a group of kids from the neighborhood mm -hmm. yesterday as I would teach professionally to a group of children. And my son was kind of blown away because he thought like, why were you fun? You know, <laughs> how come you were like that? It was like, you made us play games and you were, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. And it's like, I think it was the first time he ever saw me with my teaching hat on because he's only ever seen mm. parenting hat. So I, I think as far as raising children, I'm making it up as I go along. I definitely have drawn lessons from the background in teaching and learning that I have. And in some of the training that I've done in the places that I've taught, you know, I've taught children and adults. I've taught people who speak the same language as me and people who are learning that language and using that language to teach them. And I've taught people how to teach. And so there are definitely lessons that come out of that. And that definitely molded me as a person. But in terms of you know, raising with positive education, I think it's also just a lot of it comes from self-reflection of like what worked for me and what were those, you know, what were the moments that I remember growing up at any age, right up through college, where it's like, I've got, yeah, I'm really learning this. I'm getting this. This is working. I like this. I'm happy about this. And what are those things that happened that afterward I'm like, man, the only thing I learned out of that is I never want to do that myself. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be that person. And I mean, that's certainly part of the journey that I went through as, a, as an instructor. When I tell the story of why I got into English language teaching at the end of a PhD in literature, when the natural course was to go into teaching literature and being a faculty member and writing books about literature and so on, part of that was like, I just went through an education where nobody told me how to teach. Nobody ever explained that there was something you could learn called teaching. They basically just took it as like, it was going to come to you and you just, you're the expert, you just show up and people will learn. And I like, I know I need to learn about this. I want to be trained. And so I was trained in, in methods that are very much focused on being student-centered in that it doesn't matter how well I know something, that I can be the world's greatest expert and, and be a terrible teacher. You know, it really matters in how well I'm allowed. I, I create the space for someone else to figure that out and go through the learning intrapersonally and also interpersonally. So there needs to be a chance for people to work, to take chances and risks and find out for themselves and to be curious and to wonder things. And I think that part of it really translated well into being a parent. Then that learning needed to be, it needs to be fun, you know, especially for children. Like if it's not fun, they're just going to, it's not going to work. It's not going to not going to happen. And so, with you know my own elementary school education, one thing I notice is hugely different between when I went through, say, second grade, where one of my children is now, and when you know, and now him, him going through second grade. Well, second grade's a bad example because he's doing it remote instruction because of COVID nineteen, and it's <laughs> it's not great. But uh, first grade, <laughs> let's talk about first grade. We spent an incredible amount of time on rote learning over and over and over. Repeat, learn, drill, drill, drill. You know, write this word twenty times. Now you know how to spell it. Yeah, okay, maybe we did. But wow, was it boring? It was just mind numbing and painful, and also not efficient. Because when I was in first grade, I wasn't good at learning spelling. And now they're much more focused on when's the right time for that to develop. And actually, they found that you can spend hundreds of hours force feeding people when they're the wrong age and wrong level of development for it. Or you can wait a few years and they'll probably, they might just pick it up anyway, or they do need much less of that effort. So that's changed a lot. We have the benefit where we're living of being right next to, you know, in, in America, you are 
your school is based on where you live. You live in a neighborhood that's covered for those schools in the immediate vicinity. And so that does mean that, you know, people choose where they live partly based on school districts. And we are fortunate that we chose to buy into what is a very good school district, I think. And it's a neighborhood that people move to because of the school district. So that's great. And we live just a block down from a K to two, which is the early, like before primary school and then the first two years of primary school. And then just down the road from that, there is an excellent Montessori daycare that the kids were also able to go to. And it wasn't because it was Montessori that we chose to go there. It was because it was, I mean, that wasn't a bad thing, but it wasn't the reason for it, but it was to do with how much we could see they cared and the warmth of the people in the school and their interest in the children and their support for the children. Mm -hmm. And Montessori, some people really believe in that method for right through high school. And that may work. I, I don't have any, the only person I can say that I know who went through that was someone I knew when I was in high school. But anyway, the, the Montessori daycare, I think for early childhood, it's, it's, it's excellent because they really do recognize that children are at different stages and different, at, at, I mean, at, not just at any given year, but like any given moment that the children just might be going on a totally different way. Like, I want to sit, I want to run. Okay, you sit, you run, fine. You know, you'll swap. <laughs> While they still focus on building, you know, the respect for one another. So like, okay, but this is my work. Don't come over and step on my work. And if you do, uh, we're going to go talk about it. And I think we did pick up some of those practices also at home. One thing that came very naturally to us is that We've always tried to have the children see the consequences and to see what they're, whatever they're doing at any time is like, if it mm. goes well, if it goes badly, it's choice. And it's like choice is the problem. Like, what was the choice you made there? How could you have done that differently? That kind of conversation rather than about punishment and like imposing. Because in the end, for people to make good choices, it has to come from them. You know, it can't just be like, oh, I'm afraid of being punished and that's why I behave well or badly. In that case, you're just going to learn to hide it better, which happens. And <laughs> definitely not a perfect parent, um, <laughs> nor do I ever expect to be. But, you know, one of the things I've noticed with the kids is that some of those values, those lessons that we really try to impart, like talk through your problems, you know, share how you feel and with an apology and, you know, and try to, you know, repair the relationships if you get into problems with someone and that, you know, these things will pass and you, you get back to being friends with people quickly for the little kids, it's all really important. We see that that's how they behave with their friends and that's how they behave when we're not around. They might not choose to behave that way with us, but when we're not there, they often do. And so it's like, oh, okay, that went in. <laughs> That's nice. Glad to see that. Yeah, no, good yeah. Uh, positive changes. And yeah, it's like, I think it's good to have this like positive education also installed at home. And that leads to my question. Mm -hmm. What would you advise to someone who, for example, they don't have because Montessori school is quite expensive or they don't have any like positive schools sort of like in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that they can do at home to still get that trust and communication? And is there anything yeah. that you would recommend okay. that works? That's a good question. We were fortunate in that the school that we went to, the Montessori school was no more expensive than any other daycare around daycare in the United States is just insanely expensive yeah. and like a third or up to half of people's income can go into daycare. So it's like crazy. Oh, expensive. wow. And the Montessori school was just the same price as other daycares around. I know that that's not the case everywhere. And they're just from Trump, some of the other daycares that even our kids went to, 
before school that we knew that they were not getting that same kind of positive education. That, that's bad. There were a couple that were chain, big company chains that were like, oh, this really is just kid prison. Um, oh my God. <laughs> what I will say is that I mean, one area that I think my, my wife and I felt very strongly and we were very much in the same line of thinking was that you get a lot of people who are, use the term helicopter parents, that like when their kids are very young, they are constantly there behind their kids and constantly like, protecting their kids and like there are some aspects of safety that are really really important of course i mean crossing the road and so on and i strongly believe in like right we, we ride bicycles as our main transportation so i wear a helmet and i expect my kids to wear a helmet but i do also wear the helmet but when they go to a playground or if they're outside running around or whatever we would run into parents who were not only like around they were right behind their kids and like hands out and like who's he gonna fall and also getting into the like the interactions between the kids and like interfering you know to the point where it was like no that's his toy and he said he was going to play with it and that's not your turn now <laughs> it's like get out of there like get away from them let them have their their time together to figure those things out because that's really really important and so that's something that they do in the Montessori as well is like really try to not interfere with the kids doing the things that the kids are able to do and to give the kids responsibility for doing things early on and to make the kids like if, if there's an issue between two kids it's not just impose a solution it's to get the kids to figure out the solution even when they're three-year-olds they would have this little table that they would set up and it was like the peace table and they would, what's your side what's your side what should you do now what should you do now okay you feel better yes okay bye-bye i didn't know that it's very interesting yeah that was and, and we love that and so we would try you know to an extent and never succeed quite as well at home but yeah we still kind of try that but it was like the interactions in the park you know when you run into someone you don't know and you would have parents who really wanted to be in the middle of it and to control it that was a problem and that was never us like we used to take our son ian when he was like one and a half to a playground where he definitely looked way too small to be doing what he was doing but he was doing it and that was what he did he would climb up these structures and it was like doesn't look like he's old enough to walk should he be climbing that well yeah he does that's him that's what he does <laughs> we'll run over there if he actually falls but you know and it rarely would happen and that was important for his i think his confidence but also you know needing to discover and needing to it's not like really bad taking really terrible risks but they talked a lot in the in montessori about natural consequences and it used to drive us mad in spring especially because here we get a lot of snow and then the snow melts and it just turns into mud there's just tons of mud and the natural consequences were you'll if you play in cold icy mud you'll be dirty and cold and <laughs> <laughs> you know, in that case, that one used to drive us mad, but it, uh, because then you would go and you'd pick up and for one month of the year, you would pick up this sort of brown, sticky, like strip him down naked before you put him in the car kind of child. And the teachers were just there laughing at it. So, oh, he really rolled in the mud today. Yeah, good luck. You know, but natural consequences apply to a lot of things. It's just like, if you do that, that's what's going to happen. And letting it happen is a really good way for the kids to learn oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. Whereas if you, you can keep telling them or if you never allow them to even get close to taking those kind of risks where they learn the consequences. And, you know, there's a really extreme version of that. It was a Scottish expression I heard once, which is like, let the way and play with the knife, he'll learn, you know. Uh, it's like, well, maybe, maybe we don't 
fight to give the kids knives to play with, but at the same time, there is something in that. It's like, hey, if you run that fast on the on the grass, you might fall down, or if you run, you know, that kind of thing. It's like obviously with limits of like, hmm. don't let them get close to drowning. Don't do that with traffic, you know, those kind of things. But there is a, something to be said for not being always there to learn these things themselves. It's more meaningful for them. Yes, and so it, it makes me think as well that, you know, if you say no all the time, then it loses its meaning. But saying no when it's actually dangerous or, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think it's also good for the kid. I don't know if they apply that, for example, at Montessori, but trying to say other mm-hmm. things or be like, oh, don't you want to do that instead or something. And then really like saving the no for when it's like, life or death you know like no don't do that mm-hmm. yeah no i think so um it's it's a little hard for me to talk back to like the month of story because it's if you'd asked me three years ago i would have had a lot a lot more to say it seems very distant now because the kids have grown up and they're in school, in mm. school and i think that when you talk about positive education the public school here and it's one of the things that we feel very good about where we live i mean there's enough in america right now for us to feel really bad about but here and compared to the other place that we, it would be very likely for us to be in say northern ireland school here is very focused especially the early school in the public education is very focused on social and emotional learning and that like our parent teacher conferences were like goal setting around how do you want to interact how do you want your, you know how do you want to build relationships and like they really didn't focus on grade and even into our older son is in later primary school and it's still really focused on building him up as a person good self-esteem confidence respect respect for other for children across different races and languages and build up the character of the child rather than focusing on are you meeting these like curricular standards and and there are curricular standards related to this but i mean it's not like how's your math score how's your how's your science score how's your reading score it's much more like they would we'd come in and they would have this kind of page full of like here are some Here's some goals. We want you to talk about this with your child before you come and choose three that you think you're really good at and three that you want to work on. And then I'm going to track those and I'm going to give you feedback on those at the end of the year. And I really like that. And especially in the kindergarten, first grade, there was almost nothing that was sent home that would feel bad about, you know, I'm not getting it. I'm not learning that kind of thing. It was all, it, it wasn't like subject focused. It was really about all the feedback was about the growth of the child school principal knows every kid by name and their siblings and most of their parents and stands out in the front and greets you when you go by and asks and like it's incredible and and that kind of attitude toward the children is just incredible because I think more than anything else that they're studying as they're going through they're also growing up learning like teachers are people who care about me and they're there to listen to me and they're also people, you know, and I want them to like me and I want them to care about me. And that that's really, really beautiful. And I, I think that's a something I when I look at my own education, where did I get my PhD and why did I get in literature is because the teachers I had who were teaching literature were the ones that I engaged with most. And it was often like one of my favorite teachers wasn't particularly good in the classroom. She was a pretty poor lecturer. But wow, when I went to office hours and chatted with her, I could spend an hour and a half chatting with her. And That was where I took away my education, actually, in, with that instructor. And she ended up being my academic advisor. So, you know, it's like the 
engaging, in her case, engaging with me as someone who's like going through life decisions and, you know, where am I going to go and what am I going to do with my education and all, that was very meaningful to me, more so than the subject matter. And I see that also in with the teacher, just how your kids are doing, you know, which is really nice to hear when he's sitting right behind me working and i like, I have no idea how he's doing. I, our youngest son has just been diagnosed with um, ADHD which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And I mean, now that I'm sitting sharing an office with him, I can definitely see it. And it's nice to get these messages back from the teacher also pointing out what he's doing really well mm -hmm. and focusing on that. And so that's, and that's something as parents we do too, is like try to focus on, you know, how, looking for, you know, catch them being good and give them, you know, praise, you know, try to, try to, try to point out when they've done something really good. So that, that can be done without special, you know, school. Nice. And so I was going to ask what changed during COVID. <laughs> Positive schooling, how did it kind of like adapt? And <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard because the, the early grades, it doesn't work well to teach them remotely. It just doesn't. And the teachers are amazing and they're doing an incredible job of trying to make it. But like those kids don't have the problem solving skills to figure out why their Zoom meeting isn't opening or if the instructions don't work exactly as planned, or they don't have the repair strategy to like, oh, I'll just listen to it again. It's like, no, I didn't get it, so I just handed it in. That's really hard. And they also just aren't, it's not good for them to be in front of the screen. So I really wish that we're, our community as a whole had done things differently and prioritized opening the kindergartens rather than the bars, but they opened the bars. And so we have an explosion of COVID-19 right now, and there's no chance that the kids are going to go back to school this year, which really sucks. What's changed for them in terms of positive education? I mean, I guess we're around them so much more in their education. We're, we're checking in with them all the time, and we're working right here. So, I mean, one of the things, what's getting me through this disruption, and I work on a team to support transforming the teaching in the university. So all these classes, like I'm, I'm getting teachers who never taught remotely at all or online at all, up and going with it. And so I'm very much an insider as well as an outsider. What's getting me through this for the kids is recognizing that they're not the first generation to go through a massive disruption in their education. I have one of the most intelligent and worldly and passionately caring people I've ever known grew up during the Blitz in World War II in London. And her education was completely disrupted. She was shipped out to the countryside, you know. That generation didn't turn out to be a failure. That generation turned out to be an incredible generation. And what we learn is not only what is in our school curriculum and our school textbooks. Our kids are learning something really profound right now, which is resilience and the value of everything outside of the school and to their learning you know for american children it's a first generation in a long time you know to recognize that they're part of the world and that the world's problems are our problems it's very easy in america to not think that way a lot of americans really think of themselves as being above apart outside you know war isn't fought on our soil it's fought somewhere else 9-11 happened here that stands out because it's the only thing of its magnitude to happen in the country for like 50 years. You know, it's that all the tragedies take place elsewhere and you watch them on TV and maybe it's, you know, maybe America's part of that, but it's not happening here. This is happening here. And this generation is learning that they are affected by what happens outside in the world and that their choices also affect the world. And that's a really profound thing. I think this generation is like, they're not going to be blase about 
climate change in the way that, say, my generation is, or my parents' generation. They're, they're going to be familiar with something huge and threatening <laughs> that, that they are part of, even if it's their only part of this one little piece. Although that varies from kid to kid and family to family, and there are some families around us that even now are treating it like, no, I don't, I want to shelter my child from that. I don't want them to have to face it. But as it gets worse and worse, the, everyone's having to kind of have a reckoning with it. And that's learning. That's a really profound lesson that you couldn't possibly replicate in school. And so what I see as, you know, part of this year's task is just to keep my kids aware of that. Like my son, my fifth grader comes home and reads the newspaper and asks really good questions about what's going on. And it's like, yeah, let's have that conversation. Let's talk about those issues because he shouldn't be sheltered and away from it. And let's talk about what we're doing and how that affects other people and consequences of that. And that's something that I'm, I feel pretty good about is that we're walking through this together and walk, we're kind of walking through it with our eyes open and recognizing that we're learning a lot from it. Yeah, education, school is disrupted, but it's like life is school too. Yeah, I really like that. It's very interesting. Is there any advice that you would like to share or final advice, should I say? Yeah, I think that I might have alluded to this. But as someone whose entire kind of academic and professional career is on education and also being a parent and also coming at it from very broad, wide experience, I think the thing that makes a real difference to being an effective teacher and a parent who is effective in teaching their children is that you also have to be a learner and have a passion for learning and be constantly learning yourself. And that may mean that you are learning from your kids. And that may mean that you are show, you take something on, you know, that you've never done before and you show them that you're not great at it, but you are showing that you're learning. You know, for example, my wife is learning piano. My son is learning piano. I started in my son's Kung Fu class. And for a while we were in the same class and he was like, five belts ahead of me still is <laughs> he's not he's in a different class now but also like i'm learning a language at home i'm a musician you know i perform at home and i teach them songs and like to show that you are also learning that it's not just something you do in school and then you move on and that like once you're an adult you're an expert it's like no we are all learning all the time and it's hard and frustrating and i think going through that yourself visibly to them really makes it possible to be authentic when you give them advice and when you share and, and be willing to be vulnerable in that and to share what's hard for you and what's frustrating for you and talk about what you did in school that did or didn't work and, and recognize that, you know, bad behavior. Well, yeah, I did that too, you know, um, <laughs> and I remember when that happened in my class, that kind of thing. It's like just not to be a, an adult who is Like, I'm the adult, I'm the authority, I know everything, and listen to me, and much more of it. Like, you know, I'm where you'll be someday, and I was where you were, or where you are. And in some ways, I mean, if you can find those moments when the kids know something better than you, celebrate that and make them really aware of that. And don't try to keep that, I think it was kind of old school approach to parenting of like, father knows best kind of thing. It's like, no, no, those are definitely things that kids know better about. And it may not be the thing that I've chosen. Like my son is totally expert in Minecraft. I don't know much about it, except that I don't have time for it. Um, <laughs> but you know, it is really impressive how much he's managed to learn about it. And that skill of learning, I mean, it, it requires a lot of really positive skills, abstract thinking, planning. Um, it's also very, they play with friends. So it's very interpersonal. And 
being able to visualize something in your mind that doesn't actually exist, you know, and plan it and make it happen. And those are great. And so if he spends five minutes telling me all about his particular type of armor that he has with a plus one enhancement or whatever, I can't remember. It's, um, I don't want to put him down for that, or I don't want to dismiss it as if it's not valuable because that's something that he's passionate about. He'll move out of it and he'll be into something else. But like, I can see a direct lineage between say, Minecraft and mechanical engineering as a professional field, you know, like, yeah, if he keeps going in that, he's going to want these math skills and he's going to understand how they're used. So, yeah. No, great advice. Yeah. I guess that's rambling advice. I hope you can. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's great. And I, I truly think as well that education doesn't start or end when we finish school and that we have to keep on learning and mm. it's not just that it goes like way beyond and this is also what makes it interesting but obviously if you don't use your brain even when you're i don't know 30 40 and any age it's not good for you so i think it's also good for kids to know that and it's a good example that you set for them one more thing i'd like to say about continually learning like that is that you know, I'm a, as a language teacher, language teaching is unique, I think, in that you really, like, you learn a language in order to use it outside, you know, it, it has to be used outside the classroom. The classroom is really kind of just enabling the language, but like, yes. societies were in relationships with other people. That's where language is meaningful. And I think that's given me a sense of that with all types of education. Like, you don't learn math just to be good in math class. You have to learn math because math matters in other places. Maybe you're not making a career out of it, but it's still, where can you use that? You know, um, you learn English and you learn, uh, or sorry, you learn like the reading and literacy skills in order to use them outside and not just to be the best person in the classroom. And I think that's something else also to recognize in, in like this positive education is that education is, has to be meaningful in, in life. Mm, this is very true. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Thank you so much. (laughs) A lot of things to think about. It's interesting. Thank you so much. It's nice talking to you. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcast and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode, and in the meantime, have a lovely day. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.